We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity, a podcast celebrating generosity at work. Not financial giving, giving valuable time, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Welcome to ROG. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This episode is part two with the global CEO of Great Place to Work, Michael C. Bush. Great Place to Work is a global people analytics and consulting firm that helps companies produce better business results by focusing on the work experience for every employee. Fortune's annual list of the 100 best companies to work for, the world's best workplaces list, the 100 best workplaces for women's list, the best workplaces for diversity list, and dozens more are the result of Great Place to Work's commitment and diligence on fair measures of evaluation to honor and celebrate companies who are doing things right for all. Michael authored a great book called A Great Place to Work for All. Check it out. Michael is the CEO. He's a thought leader, an inspiration to anyone who knows him, and he's courageous, meaning he walks the talk and he eats his own cooking. We're going to open with a short clip from part one, episode 19, and jump right in to why Great Place to Work is actually a great place to work, the value of feedback, and employee resource groups. Enjoy. So a great place to work, you know, meaning we do the survey every four months, yes. and, uh, and we're the only organization on earth, I'm sure, that every employee gets the data the same time I do, and they get 100% access to all the data, all open comments, everything. Our people can see, if they've been there a day, they can see absolutely everything. Other organizations, we know because we're in the business, they limit access. Uh, we don't. Uh, we make sure um, that, that everybody can see it so everybody uh, can contribute because we believe in innovation by all. So I uh, you know, just went through that uh, 60 days ago was, was our last one. And, uh, um, and it, 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 takes, it, it takes a while. You know, it's like now I'm like, you know, feeling good about it. But I remember getting my feedback 60 days ago and it, it took me a couple of weeks because for us, uh, we had uh, some employees who felt like, um, they couldn't say what they wanted to say um, for the first time. And so, uh, which meant that they didn't feel emotionally safe speaking about certain things. Uh, and so that just destroyed me, uh, that that could be happening, that somebody could be experiencing that at work. So when we get that information, we then do a pulse survey, mm -hmm. go deeper, a shorter question set to find out what happened. And we did. Uh, then I felt better, um, you know, because then now we had the action. And in that case, you know, it was it was actually our employees of color who mm -hmm. felt like there was no place for them to talk about the rage they were experiencing, uh, you know, um, and, and we did listening sessions every day after George Floyd's murder every day. Um, every day. And, and, and then we rolled out the technique, you know, to all of our customers. Well, what they were saying was, you know. Um, I just couldn't express my rage. I had to be careful and I just wanted to let people know, you know, and I'm like, okay, all right. So, um, what can we do about that? Well, you know, we, we've now, uh, created some, some groups, you know, for people 
um, and and are are supporting those groups to um, actually say whatever they need to say. And in 30 days, the 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 situation uh, got better because in the COVID world, people didn't have other ways of convening. Mm-hmm. Like you know, in the normal world, you have your friends, you go to church, you go to your gym, you have other ways of connecting with people and 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 speaking completely free. So anyway, we got the data and we jumped on it, um, and uh, I feel much better about it now. And then I've been able to communicate that to all of our customers. There's no company I don't think you can find more more diverse than Great Place to Work. Um, you know, we have 30% white males at Great Place to Work, so uh, our numbers are flipped. Uh, in terms of what most people see, uh, and yet in that in that organization, um, uh, you still have these challenges. And uh, so I know we're on the cutting edge, and therefore can practice what we preach, uh, do the analytics, and then recommend to our customers. Um, uh, here's what you can do because it's true in your place too. And our customers always say thank you so much because I had no idea, um, but we dug deep, just like you said, and found out. Um, that uh, that's happening in our place too. Yes. And that's another example of your generosity is that your willingness to confront those uncomfortable things, like to look deeper into that feedback to say, what does this mean? And what do I need to know as the leader of this organization about what can be done? But then you're sharing that with your customers so that they can do their version of it or use your prototype on here's, here's what we have found our employees are really looking for and that they need this outlet to express themselves and not be judged and not be told that that's wrong or not be told that they shouldn't feel that way because this is how they feel. So these are groups that anybody can participate in. Can you tell us a little bit more about how this works? Because I'm sure there are people listening who have a similar challenge. Yeah, I, I think our, ours is a little bit different just because uh, you, you know we, we tie everything to analytics you know, meaning making sure that we can we can measure. But for, for most organizations, these are called employee resource groups where, you know, people will have, a, you know, group who are identified or interested in the LGBTQI community um, or networks for women or, or for black employees, Latinx employees, uh, differently abled employees, uh, employees with parental responsibilities, employees with elder parents, veterans, you know, the, the, these are the kinds of groups that come together for this reason. And so the uh, I think the the innovation that's occurred in 2020 from our work that we're now spreading to the world is to find a way, which we, we have a way, um, which is to survey those groups every four months and get that in, information to the top of the company. Uh, that it, it should be at the executive team. So the, the executive team experiences exactly what I experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which is, there's a problem here and, uh, and, and, you know, it's something that you need to do something about in a lot of organizations that have ERGs, the information doesn't get to the top. Um, so they're more of very important support groups, Mm -hmm. uh, people providing resource and support to each other. Um, people that have some common experiences that make them feel a little safer, which is good, but there's a great and the great is letting those groups know, number one, you appreciate them because they're doing their job and volunteering for these things too, but also you're listening to them. Yes. And you, you and so when you decide to do something like change a mental health benefit more or less, 
You've got a group now who can let you know the effect that it's having on their work experience. You've got really committed people um, who are volunteering to give you that. And, and so this is what we've unlocked. This is the innovation. And um, we're, we're spreading it out. Uh, and it, it's helping organizations. What are the kinds of questions that you ask these ERGs? What you want to do in these every four month surveys is there's some standard things that you want to ask uh, related to the role of, of that organization to help the organization fulfill its purpose, because those organizations should be critical. They, they should be tied to the strategy of the business, not just a group of employees talking about whatever they want, providing emotional support. That's kind of worked for 30 years, but yet hasn't advanced DNI efforts at all. And, and, and we believe that's why. So they have a role of maybe getting you insight into customers that identify with that group. So uh, you want to measure how they're doing at those things. The newest innovation is that you want to measure that when you do something like uh, decide to go carbon neutral by 2050, how do they feel about that? Mm -hmm. uh, when you decide to expand a community program, uh, maybe going into the schools and doing more about STEM related topics, how do they feel about that? Um, when you give money to historically black colleges, how do they feel about that? Well, the surveys are showing they really actually, there are people in the company who went to historically black colleges who have not gotten a promotion in a decade. They'd really rather see that than the other. I mean, they, they love the donation, but they'd actually like to see you do something front and center with yes. people who have graduated from historically black colleges today. So you want to ask them questions about what you're doing uh, you know, specifically now we're talking about um, diversity and inclusion and a sense of belonging uh, and how these, you know, groups of very committed people who volunteer their time, what's their experience? Has it changed based on the things that you're doing? And then you can use that to fine tune uh, what you're doing. And the punchline here is um, a black person who went to a historically black college would rather see you hire more people from historically black colleges and some of those people getting promoted rather than writing a check because value and respect comes from helping somebody advance their career, showing the respect, giving the fair opportunity like everyone else, rather than not doing those things and just writing a check. Oh my gosh, this is so helpful. That's something that I'm very deeply associated with and I want to move the needle. I am frustrated by the snail pace that I think a lot of the progress has been making. And I think that innovation, you're right. It's like, it needs to get a new engine. It needs a new design. It's just not working. I think those groups are important. And I think your thought about purpose driven ERGs that have a direct connection to the mission of the organization and being a feedback loop. And then you also talked about how they're giving you insights on customers who affiliate or associate with those groups so that you can really learn from their lens what certain things look like and feel like or you know what might be offensive or not enough. Do you ever connect your ERG groups together? Like, is there ever in intersectionality between them? Yeah, we strongly recommend that. Um, you know, we don't want to, you don't want to overdo it because people are busy. They're doing their jobs too. But a couple times a year, the leaders from those groups uh, should come together. Uh, and you want to make sure that those groups are open, you know, and so a lot of organizations are, are doing work with um, allyship to make sure that they're open. And, and you also want those groups to be sponsored by executives because that's how people know, okay, it's okay to be a part of this thing. If you don't do it, people are wondering. 
companies out on the cutting edge here, members of the executive team will sponsor a, an ERG and there are allies, meaning it's open. Uh, so there are other employees who, who care very much about these topics and there should be a way for them to get involved. One thing there is we've recommended, this is new for in 2020 by, by the data. If you're an ally, let's say that you're a white male and you really want to help uh, the black employees because you're, you feel compelled to do so and you join uh, their ERG as an ally, organizations are coming up with uh, kind of what an ally is and what an ally isn't. Uh, some organizations, the ally goes and it becomes all about teaching that ally. So it just becomes all about the ally, which just destroys everything. Um, so uh, allies have to be great listeners and they have to be in learning mode and make sure it doesn't become about them and making them comfortable. You know, it's not a DNI committee meeting. Um, and so you want to be careful not to derail it. And a, a, an aware ally leaves, you know, 15 minutes before the meeting ends so people can talk without mm -hmm. the ally. And then the leaders of these ERGs, we recommend that they're involved in the leadership development programs of the organization because these are leaders. So they should be getting the same thing that your leaders are getting in terms of, of their development so that they can continue to advance as leaders, not only of the ERG, but hopefully um, some of them potentially can be great leaders in the organization. But that's why I think we need innovation even just to keep, keep the momentum going because it is a long-term play. This is something we're going to be working on for a long time. And I don't want people to get exhausted. I don't want people to think that because they made a couple of posts or, you know, maybe they updated their mission statement or something that the work is done because it's not done until really that for all leadership is a reality in all, and we'll use your mission as, a, as an example, all organizations because your blog post about all has never meant all really struck home for me, Michael, because it, it reminded us of how the structure was designed for some. You know, you're a research person and a very intentional leader. What are actions that matter? There's four things that leaders can do. Number one, uh, silence isn't a good idea. So um, when things happen, particularly around injustice, uh, the for all leader uh, is willing to talk about these things and is willing to talk about these things, acknowledging that they might say something wrong. But silence is worse than that. Uh, it's, it's speaking about these things. And so being able to let people who work for you work with, you know, hey, I saw last night what happened. And uh, I just want you to know that I was very disturbed by it. And um, I, I see you. Uh, I don't know what to say other than that. And um, uh, I'm, I'm going to work to learn more um, to, to, to find a way, you know, personally to do what I can do to, to make things better. We'll be right back and learn about three waves of action of a for all leader. Introducing the brand new QuadPod Podcast Network. At QuadPod, we have a variety of podcasts that are as unique as you. When you visit quadpod.com, you'll see our shows listed by category as well as average episode length. Find a new podcast at qodpod.com, the QuadPod Podcast Network. 
That's QODPOD.com. And we're back with more from Michael C. Bush. Uh, next is listening to people. So we encourage organizations like CEOs to have a town hall and, and, and to say kind of what I just said. We have this, this thing called the wave theory. And so that, that's wave one. And so uh, the next wave is uh, listening, creating sessions that are safe. And we also say, look, leaders, don't do these things. You know, kind of do these things. You, listen, don't do the normal executive thing. Bob, I love what you said. Don't do that because now everybody knows, oh, I have to agree with Bob. Um, and I don't, but I better not say it now. So we, we, we help people, you know, kind of frame that. Then next is the most important thing, which is learning. It's this. This is this is where you unlock what you just described, which is we have to find a new way because all of our efforts haven't gotten us very far. And it's learning because we have notions about what racism is or isn't that are founded on untruths. And, and we've adopted, you know, th- these untruths. And so immediately for me, you, you know, when uh, the, the morning after George Floyd's murder, uh, I said, hey, son, how's it going? And he goes, not so good. I go, hey, what's up? And he said, did you see what happened? And I go, no. And he goes, you didn't see what happened to George Floyd? I go, no. And he goes, yeah, well, you ought to check it out. I came right back in. I'm Zooming in a meeting, but I opened up a window and I hit the video. And I thought my video had frozen because it was just a guy's knee on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And so I'm like, there's something wrong with my, oh, it must be because I'm Zooming and I'm doing this. It's frozen. Yeah. It's not frozen. This is happening and so then I'm like, both my sons watched it over and over again. Yeah. So, and then they're like dealing with it. So then that was, um, you know, I wrote a blog about that. And and so to immediately get into action and let the world know, um, this is a crazy situation. And, and so personally, as a father, I got work to do now. Uh, I got an organization, you, you know, and, and our work. And so what I did that weekend was started reading about racism. That's what I did. I got these books right here, you know, because I'm like, I got to find a new way because I know what I want to do, but I got to find a different way. And I feel like we all do. So we talk about this learning. We talk about unlearning what you know. And uh, the same thing about generosity. You got to unlearn what you've learned about what a leader is. And you got to unlock and bring forward what's inside of you, which Mandela says it's inside of all of us. You have to liberate that part and it enables other people to liberate it too. And that's how you change society. And, um, you know, Nelson Mandela talked about, you know, resentments like, you know, drinking poison and hoping that the other person will die. You know, so the, the, these, we have to unlearn these things. And then of course, the thing around racism is it's not about what one person says to another. I wish it was about people in hoods. It's about the institutional nature of this thing that the world looking the way that it looks, it makes no sense. If you look at the math, it makes no sense. So something else is at play here. Let's all learn about that together. So that's the next point. So if you're in an organization, it's we encourage the organization to do that together. We've, you know, we, we've sent out, here's a list of podcasts. Here's some books. Get leaders to know I got a CEO book club. And I'm saying you need to get your team to read these books. Yes. And then the last wave we call measurable actions. Let's talk about hiring goals. Let's talk about the thing that matters most. And we have the analytics to prove it. Are promotions fair? When you double click on that, it's trouble. 
when you do the demographic comparison on the answer to that question. So if you want to know what's the one thing I can do in an organization to move the needle on diversity and inclusion, it's get the bias out of your promotions because it's filled with them. And, and then second to that, do hiring. I was you know, on a CEO thing with a big company. Company hasn't talked to me since then. I was asked in front of all their employees, they shouldn't ask me, but a person said, Michael, is racism a part of every hiring decision? I said, yes. I didn't have to think about it. We got the data and the, it, it's clear, but boy, did they prefer I not say that. But that's where it is. Um, you know, people want to believe what they need to believe. And uh, all of a sudden they're colorblind. Yet when they walk in through their neighborhood at night, they are not colorblind. And as they move through society and choose who to sit next to on a plane, they are not colorblind. And when they hire, clearly they hire in full color and they're attracted to a certain color. And so this is what the data and the analytics says. And they need to think about how they got that way. So not everybody is going to want to do it, but these are the things that I think are, are around the new tree that needs to be planted to make the world different. Is there something that people can do to make those promotions more fair? Yeah, um, you know, what, what they have to do is collect some data. Um, so, for example, uh, let's say you, you look at their pipeline, the, the employees who are the next group of employees to get promoted to be on an executive team or something like that. And if you look at that organization, it doesn't matter what the organization is 10 years ago, you'll find maybe 10 to 15% women. You look at that organization today, there's more women. You know, some it's 20%, some it's 25%, something like that. It should be 60% if you follow the math. And when you look at by manager who they've hired, you will find to get that 50%, there's one manager who's hiring seven out of 10 people are women. There's another one, it's one out of 10. Mm. This is the amazing thing. There are super generous leaders who are number one, going for the best talent. And guess what? Non-controversially, it's women. The data is clear here that, that all those things I talked about, yeah. um, due to life's experience primarily, women are, are better at those things. One out of 10 makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, that's a token. You, you hire t- you know, 10 people, nine of them are male and one's a woman. You got a problem with that leader. That leader needs help. That leader needs to be developed. That leader's decision-making needs to be reviewed. Let's take a look at your last 10 hires and see how they're doing. That's great. And now you go into the experience that they're creating. The data, I will stand on this, will tell you there's a problem, that they're hiring people very much like them, that they're comfortable with, and you'll and in the performance reviews, you'll see a lot of great and outstanding and awesome. There won't be data-driven statements about how this th- these leaders um, you know, help the organization achieve its purpose. You'll find transactional leaders or hit and miss leaders on our scale. You won't find good and for all because the, the bias is there and, and they're hiring and being allowed to hire. Um, and oftentimes some organizations will do that because that leader happens to be very strong transactionally, meaning hitting sales targets uh, under budget, 
you know, those kinds of things. And so they just kind of build a machine that does those things. But innovation, not really. Organization's purpose, not really. We've got this one area that's not really helping us um, decrease our, our carbon pr- footprint. Um, but they're bringing in the money. And that's why it stays the same. And when you share this with the CEO, some will say, yeah, well, we're doing well in these other places and it's 50% women. Um, so uh, it's double clicking through the data and, and, and letting all leaders know, look, we want you all moving in this direction. And we, and we know it takes time. You can't be a four-all leader overnight, but everybody should, needs to be moving from one level to the next. It's very much like generosity because I believe that diversity and inclusion is a component of generous leadership, is that there are legitimate bottom line benefits. But one thing we know, you know, kind of, you know, wisdom comes with age. And I've always, one of the things I've been lucky about is I've been able to listen to people to get wisdom. I've been attracted to it from a very young person, uh, which has been very helpful to me. I like, um, you know, benefiting from what other people have, have experienced. And what we all know is you can, when you talk to very successful people, quote unquote, business successful, later in their life, when they talk about um, what's missing, this is what they're talking about. Um, that they were trying to achieve things and they missed some things along the way. Because if you're not a generous leader, it affects every area of your life. It affects your relationships with your friends, your family, your community, and how you're viewed. It affects everything. Um, if you just made sure you got your piece of the pie, you realize there was another thing you could have done, uh, which has made the pie bigger for everybody. And you would have had plenty and you'd feel different. This is what everyone says in the end of their life when they look back. So I like that wisdom. I like knowing, well, look, I'm doing it now. OK, so why don't I try and do something now so I'm not, you know, looking back um, feeling that I got it wrong. And I got that by talking to people. That's a goal. I think that's that's worthy for all of us to to aspire to. How can we begin with the end in mind? At the end of it all, do we want to be proud of the choices that we made? Did our lives reflect our values? Did we invest in the things that we really cared about? And you know what? I think what we prove is that you will have enough you'll actually have more because I think the cup runneth over when we are focused on the things that really matter. Yep. Thank you, Michael, for this incredible wisdom and for giving us a snippet. I trust everybody will read your book and learn more about the work that you're doing because it's something every organization can benefit from. Well, thank you very much, Shannon. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, You know, I look forward to a world where more leaders are aspiring to be generous for all and and that they aren't asking for, even though I can provide it, you know, the analytics and the return on the investment. Uh, well, I'm, I'm deeply grateful for you as a human and a new friend. And I, I trust we'll stay in touch. We, we definitely will. Best to you and yours. ROG takeaway tip, how we can apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. Michael offered so many insights and food for thought. I'm grateful for the commitment Great Place to Work has to data analytics to help us uncover the core barriers to truly inclusive work environments and direct our attention to find effective solutions. Michael's response to the question, what's the one thing organizational leaders can do? Get the bias out of promotions. Think about your work environment and the question, 
are promotions fair? The first clue, do you even know? (laughs) If you promote and hire people and you don't know or you're not sure, the answer is no, they're not fair. If the customary process does not include some form of demographic comparison and tracking, there's a high probability that the promotion and hiring practices are not equitable and fair. Recently, an executive coaching client, white male, who is developing a stronger position on inclusive leadership, translation, becoming woke, looked at his last 100 hires, all white male, all of them. He did not intend to be unfair or biased. He, like all of us, just is. Case in point for why the focus needs to shift from unconscious bias to conscious inclusion. What are your hiring and promotion practices? As each of us become, as Great Place to Work would describe, a for all leader, committed to organizational purpose and conscious inclusion, let's dig into the data and analytics. Not to feel shame and regret, rather to learn and identify who's already leading in this way and who isn't. How are we tracking our talent and our progress? What's missing? How can we develop an environment that celebrates for all leaders? What role do I play? What role can I play? Each of us plays a role for all. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.